But as we, we jump into the text here, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 of chapter 8. Pastor Ben did a lot of back work um, on the first message, so I'm going to kind of pick up where he left there. But let's, let's pray. God, we just come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as believers under the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that every time that we do this, Father, God, that it would be with intentionality. And God, that every time we do it, Father, it would be to better know and to understand you through the teaching and the hearing of your word. And God, I know that there's different people here this morning. God, there's some here God, that have not made a decision for you. And God, I pray that in this moment, in this day, as your word goes forth, Father, that they will believe in their heart, Father, and you will save them. And God, for those of us that have been walking with the Lord, God, that you would grow us and teach us how to be in deeper relationship with you and to be more like your son. God, we do love you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've titled this message this morning, To Tremble at His Word. And it's interesting, I love in Ezra chapter 8, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra's speaking to the Israelites there, and he's preaching about, he's, he's preaching the Word, he's, he's reading the Word of God. So I just thought how interesting it is to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God about the preaching of the Word of God. It's just a, it's a profound thought. When Pastor Bennett asked me to do this a couple of weeks ago, I could feel the weight of it already. And it was, it, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to teach the Word of God, it's weighty, right? But, you know, as I'll get through this, and you, I'll share some of my heart with you towards the end of the message, but there's just a weight that comes with God's Word that I just think we all need to feel in our lives as we walk through. But Pastor Ben, last week talked about this idea that revival is only going to happen with the central focus of the Word of God. And then that, that central focus in our lives of being disciplined and have a love and a deep love and a desire for the Word of God is how that's ultimately going to happen. He gave us a quote from John Wesley that said, let me be a man of one book. And that one book being the Bible, the inspired Word of God that we have. But we see that Ezra began to read. How long was Ezra reading the Bible for? You all remember? Six hours, Right? Six hours, and that just is profound in and of itself when you consider the idea of something lasting that long for six hours. But remember, you know, Ezra's been in Jerusalem now for, they believe, to be up to 13 years, 14 years, somewhere in that range, plowing the ground. It started with the preparation of the temple, the building of the walls, and he's there bringing right standing and right understanding back to the Word of God. Right, Pastor Ben mentioned that the books had been collecting dust. Right, and now he's bringing, us, bringing the people back to, the, to this picture of the importance of the Word of God. And in, in those first verses, it says he lays it out. But this next section that we're going to read here is going to kind of speak to a little bit more, not only of what Ezra was doing, but how the people ultimately were responding. And that's why I decided to title this message in connection to what Pastor Ben had saw months ago, that we would tremble at his Word. That we would tremble at his word. Before we get into it, I want to read verse 4. I'm not going to read the whole section yet. We're going to break it up in pieces here. Verse 4 first. And I want us to kind of see the context of what was going on there. It's important for us anytime that we study the word of God, we read, we understand the context by which that was happening. Because the context helps us to have right understanding of what the Lord ultimately was showing those people. And then for here, us today, thousands of years later, of what was, what was being done. So verse 4 says, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hakiah. 
and Masaiah, and on his right hand, and Padiah, and Mishael, and Malachijah, and Hashim, and Hasbadanah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing all week. Please don't fact check me um, on that part. Um, so we see a couple of things here. First thing we say that it opens up and it says that Ezra the scribe. And I think there's something quick to bring to that that's an important part because what a scribe did was meticulously copy the word of the Lord. And that way more copies would be there. So I think they mentioned that there to show that Ezra was very intentional in, in first of all, in his understanding and being an a, um, expert in God's law. So it's the same thing as the wait for us today, that this is very specific and it's very, it's very intentional in what it was done. Because that would have been the Torah he would have been looking at. He comes from a lineage of priests. So we see that, and then we see that he's standing on this wooden platform. This wooden platform had to support those 14 men that would have been standing there with him, him plus the 13, six on one side, seven on the other. So we've seen a pretty sizable platform that would have had to have been built, similar to what we have here on the stage. I just don't have 13 other men up here with me this morning. But the idea is that they were there to show agreement to, the, all, to Ezra, but ultimately to the reading of the Word of God. It was a, been a very intentional gathering. If you make a wooden platform able, able to support that many men, they didn't just happen to have that tucked off in the corner. That was something that they had to make. That was something that was in place. It was a very intentional gathering of people there. Because, you know, Jerusalem was beginning some very special feast days at this point. Um, and this is the, kind of the culmination of everything that's happening. And if you have your notes with you this morning, you'll notice that points one through three talk about the feast. Well, I messed up on my notes when I sent them in. That's not points one through three. Uh, so what we did in order to correct that is we left the black blank so that you can write them in. Um, so, you know, there's some, there are some things of value on the front, but the majority of what you need is on the back. Um, so get your pens out. Um, but I, I want to go through kind of what was happening there for us to get the context of, of the, what was happening there. And the first one is, is there was three feasts that they were in preparation for. So the first one is the Feast of Trumpets. You've heard that before, verse 2b, the second part you say, and it says on the first day of the seventh month. And that's how we know what was going on, because on the first day of the seventh month was the Feast of Trumpets. Leviticus 23 tells us the details, and I'm not going to read that to you because Leviticus is something that you should read on your own. Um, But it gave the encouragement for that feast and what it meant. So the first day of the month was the month in their calendar called Tishri. And it was the beginning of the year. Rosh Hashanah, that you see, on, if you open up your iPhone and you see all these weird holidays, that you're like, what are these holidays that are on here? Well, that's that. And it would have been the first of the year. It means head of the year. That was the very meaning for that word. It was the beginning of the Jewish civil calendar. Today we use what's called the what, Gregorian calendar. This would have been the beginning of their calendar year for them. But on this day, what they were doing was providing burnt offerings and sin offerings in preparation for the Day of Atonement. So you went from day one, but from here, for what the thing for us today, what we need to look at, it's good to know the details of that, but what's important for us is that this was the day that points to the Lord's return and his second coming for us, right? Joel 2.1 says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming is near. So that was what we see that they were preparing for us to see here in our lives. 
Then the Day of Atonement started on the 10th day. This is what you, know, what you would be known as Yom Kippur, right? Yom Kippur, excuse me. Leviticus mentions that one again. But what was interesting what happened here is the priest would go in, and it was a very elaborate ritual that he would perform. And a part of what he would do is he would go in there with two goats. The first goat was slain, and the blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a picture of the sins of Israel and the, and, and the atonement that was being done for that. But the second goat is what, we, is, what is called the scapegoat. And that's, that's where the, that name comes from. And what the priest would do is he'd lay his hands on the head of that goat, and then he would confess the sins of Israel for the year to come, and then someone would take that goat and go, let it go out into the wilderness. And it was a picture of the, of the remission and the cleansing of the sins of Israel. But what does that show for us here today? It's the same thing. It's the work of the cross. It's what the Lord did for us. There's been mentioned there in Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We see a word in Scripture called propitiation. And propitiation is an appeasement of the wrath of God that we deserved. And that was what that was symbolic of, is that first thing happened there, that Jesus appeased the wrath and the judgment that we deserved as mankind. But then we also know Psalms 103, 12, that says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. And that's the, the word, we, a big word, expiation, that's also part of that day of atonement. And what it was is that there was a covering of the sin that took place. So anytime you see these Old Testament things, what you, you want to know what the details of them are, because it's good for us, but most importantly to see where it points us, and ultimately it points us to Christ. And then the culmination of their feast there was the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And this would happen on the 15th day of the seventh month. And this was the, so this is what Ezra and them were preparing for. This is what this gathering is all about. This is why all these people are here and come into this intentional place, because that would have been what the, um, the holiday Sukkot. You'll see that one in your calendar as well. And it was a picture the harvest had completed. This was one of the three feasts that all native-born Jews were required to attend and be a part of, because it was a culmination. But it, once again, Leviticus shows us the details of that, but it's a picture of celebrating God's deliverance from the people of Egypt. And you say, well, I don't feel like I was ever delivered from Egypt, but you were delivered from your sin. You were delivered from the bondage of sin that we had no way of getting out for except by the Lord ultimately to make a way. And not only does it point to that, but it also points as well to the second coming of the Lord when we are released from all bondage. And we live, in a, we live in a different world altogether that the Lord has made whole and has made right. So it points again to Christ. And then we don't see it clear for this particular thing, but what Ezra's doing here, every seventh year, um, they were required to read the entire law during this time, which would have been from Genesis to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48. And, that would have been, and I think that would have taken more than six hours, is why I'm pretty sure that this is not what they would have been doing here. But in some way or form or fashion during that time, do that. consider in that time having to read that all the way through and sit under the hearing of that and the weight of it. Because in Deuteronomy, when, when Moses gives that decree, it's because the Lord knew it would be good. His word is good, and it's what we need to hear and we need to feel. So I ask you the question, what do we do with all of this here today? Is it just good information? No, there's something that the Lord is showing us here today in 2020. And my prayer is, is that messages like this, and when we, when we experience the Word of God and we delve into it, 
that our love for Christ grows deeper and deeper. And we're going to look at that because in verses 5 and 6, we see a completely different, uh, not completely different, we see some unique responses from the people as they hear Ezra reading the word. And it brings me to my first point today, that we should approach God's word with anticipation. We should approach God's word with anticipation. You know, I decided to use the word should there because I think it's, it's important for us to feel the weight of things that we should do that the Lord asks of us. I think it's a good time for us to be critical of ourselves and to ask questions of ourselves of what the Lord is ultimately doing in our hearts and in our lives. But in verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened the book, as he opened it, all the people stood. All the people stood. So this idea of anticipation, this idea of looking forward to something. And I realize anticipation could sometimes come um, from in, in a negative sense, but what I'm talking about here is one that's excitement, one that gets you um, just encouraged and you're, just in, you're, you're wanting to see and you're wanting to be a part. This anticipation develops. The people stood as he opened the book. I mean, consider that. They're all standing there, thousands of people. He's on this raised wooden platform, and as he opens the scrolls, they all stand. Not because he told them to stand, but because the word of God is being opened. They're about to hear truth that only comes from that. That would have only came in that way. What are some things that we have anticipation for here today? You know, your a wedding, first child. Pastor Ben mentioned they're going to have more children. It's exciting. Sorry, Estelle. Vacations, gifts. I know one thing the Carnes family, at least the, most of us, are really anticipate every day, as you've heard me say, is riding dirt bikes. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I got home from, you know, from work, and Rachel said, the kids are ready to go ride. And I said, okay. And she said, but uh, she said, I got something funny to tell you. She said, one of the kids um, didn't tell me about one of his practices after school. I said, why? She's like, well, he didn't want to miss out on riding, on riding dirt bikes. So we, we told the teacher and asked for forgiveness. But there's great anticipation, right? I know it in myself. There's a couple of you here that I share some of this excitement with. And when we get together, the first things normally I say is something about dirt bikes. And you say, Pastor Matt, are you too old for dirt bikes? And I would tell you, no. Clearly I'm not. I'm so excited about it, right? I'm even thinking about some Amazon orders in my mind right now as I'm talking to you with things that are coming in. We have great anticipation. One of my other kids is just absolutely obsessed with certain things, and we know, we've learned and we know that, so we, we refrain from sharing things because we know that it's going to come with an inundation of questions, and they don't stop, and they're relentless in their anticipation for it. You know, this particular child, not to name any names, has an uncanny ability to memorize the calendar, um, unto the point where Rachel normally gets with them and says, hey, what do we have on such and such day, right? Because unlike some of, I mean, unlike most of you that use your phones, We've got a, cha- a, a chalkboard calendar, which is a bone of contention in my life, so pray for me. But I take pictures of it regularly so I can know what else is going on in the rest of my family's life. But there's just anticipation we, we develop in our hearts over different things and so many different things. But my question for you is here, do we have an anticipation for, God, for God's Word? Do we wake up each morning with an excitement to open the book? And to read, do we show up on Sunday morning with an excitement and just kind of just raring to go for the moment that we're going to hear the Word of God? 
And I don't want that to be condemning, but in the same case, I want it to be real in our lives. As I was walking around here Wednesday morning, we have a prayer time as our staff, and I asked myself that question. And I was brought to tears, because the truth is, is there are times that I don't. There are times that I have not. And wow, the very breathed out Word of God, and we just kind of casually walk into it. Not just on a Sunday morning. I mean, you pick the time, any time that this book is opened. As I see, there's two concerns for us as believers. One, I believe that God's Word has become commonplace. We all have so many in certain situations. We have so many different copies, so many different translations, so many different apps, so much ability to read it that it's just, it's there. There's no absence to make our heart grow fonder, but you would think because it's there that we would just be into it more and more. And I don't think that's always the case. What was Ezra doing? He was opening a book. This was the only way those people would have heard the Word of God. They were excited. They were raring to go there, anticipate. They stood up at the very opening of the book. But I also think we've taken God's Word out of place. I believe we've pulled it into the line of all the other things that we do in life. Whether that be a Sunday service, whether that be a Bible study, whether that be your intentional time in the morning during the day. I believe we've taken it and we've pulled it down. Picture, a, picture like an organizational chart that has something at the top. And you take that top position and you drag it down and put it in the line with everything else. And what ends up happening then is means if it's all in the same level and it's on the same playing field, now we've got to figure out how to fit it in amongst all these other things. Rather than it having its right place, front and center, at the top, and then figuring out how these things happen after this thing. That's what we end up doing. And you sit here and you say, man, that's tough. And I will say, yes, it is. But we're talking about the Word of God. We're not talking about a hobby. We're not talking about something that's fun to do. We're not talking about riding dirt bikes. We're talking about the very breathed out words of God. As we were talking about this in staff meeting this week, you know, the discussion came up and we were on the topic of a Sunday morning service, but the idea that what are certain things that would be, that would happen in your life that you would, you know, be okay with, that you would have a tough time juggling, should I go to church or should I do this? Or should I go to Bible study? Or should I read God's word each day? So Pastor Ben gave me the um, clearance to mention his story. He said I could pick on him, so I'm going to take the opportunity. He talked about the masters, not particularly just the masters, but a Sunday round at the masters, right? And your pastor said that it would be a struggle. I'm supposed to laugh. He clearly would choose Christ. But the idea was, is when you think about those things in your life that come up, right? Well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you, if you get tickets to the Sunday masters, um, I would encourage you to invite Pastor Ben. Um, what was that? Yeah, Masters is a golf tournament. I feel like you talk about golf so much that there really would be no explanation needed. Um, I love golf too. But the idea is we have this, remember, if it gets pulled down and we begin to shuffle it in with everything else, we begin to lose, lose our potential there. But what I've learned is, is that it's, 
There's so much more to it. There's so much. Our lives are so busy. There's so many things going on. There's a statistic right now that says that the average churchgoer attends twice a month. Like that's kind of the, that's the national average. Think about that. That twice a month is considered regular church attendance. Right? And some people will sit here and say, well, you don't have to go to church to love the Lord. I don't have to go to church. And you're right. You don't have to go to church. Um, but I will tell you, if you take that attitude, I have concern for... I have concern for what your belief is in the Word of God and what it means to gather and to be a part of that and to miss here and there. Listen, don't get me wrong. Everybody does that. I'm going to be on vacation next week, and you won't see me, right? So pray for me. But the truth is, is we have to have, we have, to have a conviction for this. And I think there's only, and we do this in our growth track class, and one of the things that we talk about is this idea of what does it mean to be spiritually sanctified, and as believers, how do we grow and how do we, become, how do we become more like Christ? And it starts off with an understanding. Right? When we understand something, we're able to stand under that truth. Right? I think Pastor Freddie's the one that taught me that. This idea that when we, 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 we learn about it and we gather and we, we understand what we believe. So as believers, we understand that Jesus is the Christ and ultimately he paid for, he paid for our sins. So that's the very fir- first part of as, as, as we walk out our lives as believers. But what ends up happening is, as we have that understanding, we begin to develop convictions in our life about different areas, about, about different things we go to, and different things we say, and different things we're a part of. But even in that moment when something initially becomes a conviction, you know, we feel it, but we don't necessarily want to respond to it, right? Because it, goes, it flies in the face of something else that we potentially have done for so long that we really like and want to do so much. But as we continue to stay in the Word of God, what is true is those, uh, that understanding moves into a conviction. It then develops into an affection. And that we then desire and we long for the things of the Lord. It's not just something we're doing anymore because we know it's right. We're doing it because we know it's right, because we know that it's good for us. And the Lord ultimately has something good for us and loves us. But what happens when you have that, that affection that develops that anticipation. Back to our first point, there's an anticipation for God's Word because now it's an affection of our heart. It's something that we long for. It's something that we desire, which we move to in the second part of what Ezra's seen here. We would have a heart of agreement with God's Word. 8.6a, first part there says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. So they would have done very similar to what we did today. They would have opened up with a time of prayer, and they would have blessed the Lord. So just at the very beginning of Ezra blessing the Lord, what are the people's response? Amen. Amen. We know they've already stood up, and then they say, Amen. Amen. And what does it mean when we say, Amen. Amen. It says, So it be. There's a belief in the truth that just was, was just spoken. So as Ezra blessed the Lord, and as they respond, they stand up. Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands to the reading of the Word of God. Their hearts were in a place to be able to bless the Lord. Their hearts were in a place to know that what Ezra was about to speak was good. They had already come to the place in their heart that what was going to be spoken was true. And it was something that they needed. Unto to the point that they had just the excitement and the anticipation to stand up for it and to hear it. The preaching of God's Word and the hearing of the preaching of God's Word is worship in our lives. So many times we look at the first part of our service as our time of worship, and you would be correct, it is. 
But we only continue worship, even in our fellowship and unto the preaching and the hearing of God's Word. We have a heart of agreement in this because we know it's true. We want to submit to it. We see that the Word of God is authoritative, ultimately, in our lives. We're able to bow before it. I mean, think about it. If you're here today as a believer, the very fact that you believe what happened in your life to be true, and this idea of salvation is to believe that the Word of God is true. It's not separate from one another. The belief that you have in your heart is the very breathed-out words of God that you have now taken into your heart and know it to be true. That's what Romans 10, 9, and 8 says, that I've confessed with my mouth and I believe with my heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the Savior of all men. I'm not going to read through it, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, talks about how we were dead in our trespasses. And in the middle of that text there it says, But God, rich in mercy... Right? He lavished upon us His grace and His mercy. Church, we were dead. That means unable to respond. And He grabs our heart and He pulls us in. So the very nature of our salvation is belief in the Word of God. Why is it as sometimes when we, 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 we become born again and we begin to walk it out, and then we start questioning everything about the Word of God? When is the very thing that you believe to get to your place of unbelief? Isn't it interesting? Aren't we just fickle people? We approach it too often with this idea of, I want to disprove God's truth in the way that I believe. But I believe the way we should enter is, if there's something we don't know, something we don't understand, we should say, Lord, look, I realize that I probably don't have it right, but I need you to show me because I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And you say, well, that's kind of the same thing. Well, it's, 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 it's different because your heart is different on the way you enter one versus another. It's like going into something saying, prove it to me, versus I know it's true, but I don't understand. I need your help, Lord. And that's a difference. And that shows a heart of agreement in the Word of God, not a heart of agreement of, of a particular person or a particular event, but the only thing that matters ultimately when we gather church is the Word of God. I mean, Ezra read it for six hours. If each Sunday we showed up and Pastor Ben got up here and he said, all right, for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to read the Bible to you. We probably would have most of you not come back next week. And I'm not saying we should do that, but think about it. Like, think about the weight of people that we put on man's Word over God's Word. Think about when we gather and we listen to someone speak. When we walk away, so many times we talk about how great the stories were, how funny things were, how well things were articulated, how all these different things. And none of those things in themselves are bad. Don't get me wrong by any means. But how often do we walk out and say, man, I love the point he brought up there because it just showed me a deeper truth of the Word of God that I didn't know before. How many times? But we should, church. That's what we should do, and I'm guilty of it. I preach to myself all week preparing this. It's good for us. It's something that we need to do. We've got to lay down our thoughts. Think about when your children come to you. You know, how many of you like it when they come to you and just have all of this animosity and discontent and upset and frustrated about a certain something that they don't like that you made them do? Anybody like that? How would you like them to come? Mom, Dad, I humbly... Do not agree 
with what you have said. But I would pray that you would explain it to me well so that I could better know. Right. And that's a little dramatic. But the truth is still there. Wouldn't, don't you love it when your kid comes up to you and just in humility and says, um, could you help me understand this? I, I don't agree. You know, that usually happens when they get about 30. Um, <laughs> they're still your kids. But it's the same thing with the Lord. We need to approach the Word of God in a way in which our heart is pure. We're in agreement with the Word of God. Now, Lord, speak to me. Explain it to me. Show me what's going on. Speak to my heart. I know as we approach God's Word and our, as our hearts are changed, that there begins to be a physical response that takes place in our life. Our physical bodies respond to the inward work of a heart. That's a natural thing for us as humans. Negative or positive, it happens. But I was thinking, you know, when your kids, for example, or any of you have kids in sports, right? We do. And one thing I always know is when, you're, when your kids play in and they do something really good, right? And for some of you, that happens way more than others, and that's okay. Don't you just get excited? Don't you just, like, jump out of your seat? If you're in the bleachers, you jump up. You know, you, some, people, some of you scream. Some of you fist pump. You know, some of you do these different things. But that's because there's an affection in our heart for our children. And when they do something so exciting, we just, it just wells up, and we can't help ourselves but to just, just to bounce out, right, and do something. And some of you are more reserved than others and more distinguished. And you say, good job, son, just as we planned, right? But some of you just get really excited about it. You, a couple months back, there was a, something my kids watched, and they were talking about this dad who, whenever his kids would come home with like an, a, just a, a, an A on a test or something that would have been considered normal or just an everyday type thing, you know, he said, well, why don't we just, well, you know, why don't you, you should celebrate that with your kids, right? So instead of just like, oh, good job, you know, but like that idea of like that they hit a home run. So we don't really actually do this, but I do pick on them all the time. So every now and then they'll come up to me and they'll, they'll have it. They're like, Dad, look what I did on this test. I made this A. And I say, let me see that. And I go, woo! And they go, Dad. You know, but there's just that excitement. And I realized that was over, that's over the top. But the pictures, we just get excited. And I just want us to get excited about the Word of God. When, the, when it's opened up week after week and we do it, there's just an excitement that builds up that our, our knees begin to, to knock and our palms begin to get sweaty and we just start to get a little bit excited because we know we're about to hear the Word of God. We're not just about ready to hear something, something plain and something just happens all the time. That the very breathed out words of God. I was listening to a message last night from a guy and he was a, he was a new youth pastor. So Pastor Dom, you might, you might better try this out. And he got in, he was his first trip, first time there. And what he did was he set up a room with a bunch of chairs around it. And he had, and each chair, he had a, a, a verse of scripture on him. He brought all, he brought everybody in and he said, what we're going to do today is we're going to take one of you volunteers, sit here in the middle, we're going to blindfold you, and we want you to share from your heart some struggles that you're having in your life. And then we're going to respond to you with the verses that we have. So of course, naturally, first of all, they all probably thought it was pretty dumb. I think that was actually how it read. But there was one person that decided to, to get up and sit there. And it was this young lady, and she sat down, and she begins to, and she begins to share, um, kind of in a, in a brief way, some things that she was struggling with in her life, some things that were painful and were hurtful. And there was a bit of silence. And after a couple moments of silence, some of those kids started reading. And it were verses that was speaking to the faithfulness 
of God. And that even when we're not, that He is. And it was all things that was very specific to what she was saying. And it was awesome, you know, to, to hear it just be, to hear it playing out. And she takes off her blindfold and she looks around and there's some conversation back and forth. And one of the things she says, well, I just, it's all great, but I don't understand why God doesn't speak to me. Think about that. God just spoke to her in every one of those verses that was mentioned. But yet she was still able to take a step back and say, well, what about speaking to me, Lord? And I think the same thing's true for all of us. I think we, we look at this book sometimes and think, oh, this was written to somebody else so many years ago, and I'm just reading the story. No, th- this is the miracle that has taken place here. The Lord has put it down on paper for us so that we can know that he speaks to us. Pastor Ben says all the time that this is the way that the Lord has most clearly spoken to us. You sit here, and when you read these words, it is, it is the Lord our God saying it to you. And I pray that you see it that way. Right? And, if you, and if you don't, I pray that you pray to see it that way. That ultimately, when we read this, this is the word of God that's being for, going forth here. But you know, our anticipation builds and, and, our, and our, that, that truth grows in our heart. But our responses, too, sometimes is tragedy. Sometimes it's tragedy. It's not always excitement. But our bodies have the ability to respond outwardly to an, to an inward thing that's taking place in our heart. And my prayer is that we would respond in a way in our physical bodies to this. You see the people there at the end, they say amen, amen, and they lift their hands. And the next verse says that their faces go to the ground. And it takes us to our third point, that we should tremble at God's word. We should tremble at God's word. Think about that idea of their face being to the ground. They didn't have a situation like we have. Carpeted floors, nice dwellings. They're putting their face down in the dirt. They stood in anticipation of the reading of God's word. They respond with agreement in their hearts saying amen, amen, and lifting up their hands. And then they go into a posture of complete submission and a fear of the Lord. Their faces go to the ground. The last part of verse 6, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And don't be confused, they're not worshiping the book and the paper and the ink in of itself. What they're worshiping is the very words that they're going to hear that are coming from the mouth of Ezra, to be, that they know to be the Word of God. A.W. Tozer wrote, the goal of every Christian should be to live in a state of unbroken Worship. When that is the goal of our lives, kneeling, bowing, laying prostrate, and walking down the street are all postures of prayer and worship that are pleasing to God. Our desire to worship God comes from that affection that's in our heart, from that belief, that knowing that what He has and what He has for us is true. But even before that, it comes from a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, we look at that word fear. You know, it, it means in, in one token a reverence and an awe for God. And that's right and that's correct. But in the same token, it also means fear. It means fear. And I think sometimes we downplay that as believers. 
Because we, you know, that sounds a little too harsh. And why should I fear the very Lord that has saved me? The reason why we fear God in those situations is because we know apart from Christ, the atoning work of the cross, the judgment that we deserve is death. And God is faithful and he's true. And those things never change. He still looks upon sin the same way today as he did at the very beginning when it first started. It's appalling to him. So church, we need to fear. Let it be reverence and awe. But let it not lose its weight of this idea of it's just, uh, you know, not, not, not real fear. But in the same token, it's not abuse. It's not something that we run away from. It's a fear that we, we just go to our feet. It's a fear that we tremble at because we know the reality. But in the same token, we are so thankful for the work of the cross. Ephesians 2 says, but God. And that's that moment there. That's where that fear sits in when we were able to take it and say, but God, who was rich in mercy, you saved me. Isaiah 66, 2 is going to mention this, but this idea of trembling, which was the title of the message, which is the title of this point, because trembling is a response to fear. It's a response to that emotion that develops. Isaiah 66, 2 says, And all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the one the Lord looks to. Those of us that are able to tremble at his word. And to see the weight that comes with it to tremble. This morning as I got here and I was thinking about this I began to read through my notes again and just begin to think through what the Lord was doing. The very idea of being able to, to speak on this and this happens to me anytime I, I, I get the opportunity to preach or teach. Palms get sweaty. I get nervous. My stomach growls and rumbles feel like my blood pressure rises, my heart rate increases, and I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm good at it, where I'm comfortable. Man, may the Lord make me nervous as all any time the Word of God is preached. And may it do the same in our hearts that every time we hear it, it's the word of God. People, it's not man's good ideas. You take man's good ideas and you throw that out. You walk away from this thing that what that man said brought greater truth and a deeper love for God's word than I ever had before. And the next week you do it again. And the next week you do it again. Guys, we only have the rest of our lives to do this. I say it all the time about different things because it's the truth. We don't arrive, church. We don't get to this place where this doesn't matter anymore. We get to a place in our lives where this just becomes more and more and more and more and more and more and more impactful. We don't ever get it. We always need more. We always need more. Why should we tremble? 
If you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you don't tremble. You don't tremble. Because Psalm 73, 4, I know is true, and it says, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you have no idea what this idea of trembling means, you need to tremble. Because the very ability to tremble comes with the very understanding and knowledge and the weight of the Word of God. And if you can't tremble here today, you need to seek the Lord. We know the truth that the Lord, that God is creator and he's holy and he can't exist in the presence of sin. We know the fact that man is just inherently wicked. But we know he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to pay the debt for all of us so that one day we would have a decision to make, express belief in our heart that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And in that we tremble. And in that we feel the weight of what the Lord has ultimately done for us. My prayer is that you would tremble, that you would tremble under the weight and under the word of God. Because here's the thing, we're all going to tremble. You decide which side of earth you want to do it on. Do you want to do it now while you have a chance, or do you want to do it when you stand before God having to give a, a, a testament to what you did here on this earth? It's up to you. But you will tremble. Joel 2.1 said that, that you will tremble, that the Lord is returning, and we tremble at the fact that he's going to come back. If you're here today and that's who you are, express belief in your heart. Find somebody that's next to you that knows he's a believer and get them to explain it to you. Get them to explain to you what's going on. Come down after and speak to myself, one of our pastors. Don't wait. Don't leave this building without making a decision for Christ. But the rest of us here, the salt and the salt shaker, why do we tremble? First of all, it's his exceeding majesty. The exceeding majesty of the Lord and what that looks like. Think about all the Old Testament saints that came into a position of being even close to an encounter with God. They had to be hid by things. It was overwhelming. It was a place, it was things they couldn't stand. That same majesty that we see in the Old Testament and we see it play out is the same majesty that comes with every word in this book. Consider that. The majesty of his word. He speaks to us. Charles Spurgeon said, And I do not blame the man who with holy anxiety says, Is it so? Or is it not so? For I want to know and to be sure. Oh, beloved, I'm not sorry that you tremble before the refining fire of the sacred truth. I should be much distressed if you did not. And that's for us here today as believers. My prayer is that we would tremble at his word. And it's not to question whether or not you're saved or not, although for some of you that's the case. Because we know that we're secure in our salvation. The Lord has done that for us. But man, what a place to be of honor and respect and awe of saying, Lord, oh Lord, I need you. Be real in my life. The searching power of his word. We tremble at that. His word is the ability to cut and to dig deep, right? Hebrews 4.12 is sharper than any two-edged sword. Discerning thoughts and intentions and bones and marrow. 
Consider what the Word of God has the ability to do. It cuts deep, and it does a healing work. He searches our heart. We tremble at the promises that He has for us. They're good, but the fact that despite what we deserve, His promises are still true in our lives. When we walk away and we do things we shouldn't, His still those promises are still true. And we tremble that there is a passage of Scripture or doctrine of revelation that we're not able to believe. Oh, should we tremble. If we open up this book and there's something that we see and we hear everybody telling us it's true, but we read it and we say, God, I don't think it's true. May we tremble in that moment. May we feel the weight of what the Lord has for us. And for all of us that are able to speak and teach and touch other people's lives with the Word of God, may we tremble at the very idea that we would not be faithful to God's Word. May that be a place of great fear. If you're here today as a D group leader, a life group leader, another preacher, you lead different classes, you regularly get the opportunity to teach the Word of God, man, may you tremble with fear that you would not be faithful the Word of God. Because this is what I know is to be true. It's going to impact you in ways you didn't, you didn't think about. Because all of a sudden, something that you thought you want to say, an emotion that well up, something you feel like you want to get, you're going to test it. And you're going to make sure that those words that come out of your mouth are faithful and are true and speak to the majesty of His Word. And if it doesn't fit in that box, you're going to take that off your list. It's not going to be something that's going to be discussed. Because if it, it needs to bring the weight that comes with the majesty of the Word of God. I told y'all earlier in preparation for this how it was, and, and I was in my emotions building up to this. Because there's so many things to think about, and every time you preach the Word, obviously it's the Word of God. But here we see a people that were in a place they had strayed from, they had been in exile. We see Ezra doing the work of the Lord and just developing the people. It's because it matters. Week after week, we sit here and we learn about the Bible. The Bible is going to be taught at Living Word Church forever. The Lord did a work in Pastor Ben's heart many, many years ago before I even realized on what this would look like. And I know sometimes it's tough. Sometimes we consider all the things going on around us. One thing I know is true, that I want to be a man known of a man of this one book. I want to be in a group of brothers and sisters in Christ that says that this is the center and the focus of what we do. We don't preach pop culture and good ideas, and the things that make us feel good. Man, I pray when we leave out of here, we leave with a weight in our heart every week because we've heard the Word of God, because the majesty of His Word has touched our hearts, and that we desire to be different. It's not one, remember, it's not one to cower and to feel abused or this idea of running away from. It's one by which we just have a, just a deep desire to obey the things of the Lord.
that our understanding turns to convictions and our convictions turn to affections. Our affections turn to anticipation and our anticipation is breathed out of the agreement of the truth of God's word. And that because of it, we fear the Lord and we tremble every time at its presence. May we be a people of one book. May we be a people that's impacted by the majesty of his word each and every time it's preached. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your majesty. And we thank you for the work of the cross. But God, we're dead in our trespasses. And God, I pray, Father, that our lives would reflect this truth. And God, that you would do a work in our physical bodies and our hearts. And God, that you would teach us, Father, God, I have a greater and a deeper respect, God, for your word. That it would not be commonplace, God, and that we would remove it out of the line of everything else in our life that we've got to make room for. But God, it's the one thing that will be steady. And God, we'll make room for everything else. God, we love you. And I thank you for your people. And I thank you for, as Pastor Ben said at the beginning, God, that we want to be busy about seeing the lost saved. God, that when we walk out of here, the reason why we're so impacted by this word is so that we can go out and impact others for it. God, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God in his life. God, let that be true of us. God, may under the very hearing of your words, Father, that people are saved week in and week out. And, oh, God, put us in a place, Father, to disciple and steward, God, as you have designed God, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, I love these people, and I thank you for the work that you've done in all of our lives. And I thank you for the work you've done in my heart. God, you've done so much, and you've been so faithful, and God, it's not over. We've got the rest of our lives, God, to serve you and to know you, God, and to make you known. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Love you.